Welcome to the Learning for Life podcast. This is Stacy, and before we get started, I just wanted to let you know that the conversation you're about to hear was recorded from a YouTube Live that we did over on our Kids Learning for Life channel. For some reason, the internet was giving us some problems the day we were recording, so I just wanted to give you a quick heads up that if you hear any audio drops or any brief jumps, it is the result from the internet while we were recording and is not from the connection wherever you are listening to this podcast. So without further ado, enjoy the show. I'm Stacy. I'm Jenny. And this is Learning for Life, a homeschool podcast. We are two homeschoolers who use different methods, curriculum, and strategies to make it all work. Our goal is to help parents teach kids how to develop a lifelong love of learning. Hi, everybody. Welcome to part five of the Summer Book Club. We are reading Home Education by Charlotte Mason. I forgot there for a second while we have been spending so much time reading. And this section is called Lessons as Instruments. Oh, wait. Yeah, Lessons as Instruments of instruction, which this is a monster of a chapter. So I really just want to dive in. But first, I want to introduce my lovely co-hosts. First, there is Stacy, who is the other half of Kids Learning for Life with me. And then we also have Christine, who is our longtime friend and blogger and YouTuber and an all around Charlotte Mason enthusiast. <laughs> would, that, would that suit you correctly? Yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> I've been I've been searching for the words for you this whole time. And I think... Yeah that we are live and you can comment live here and be a part of the conversation about part five, which is a monster. Like I said, it's a massive chapter. It's almost half of the book in itself. So we're really just gonna try to like zoom through this, but if you have any thoughts, please let us know. We can respond. And also I wanted to remind you that this is a video that is on our YouTube channel, but it's also a podcast on our podcast feed, which is called Learning for Life. So check it out both places or whichever one is more convenient to you. I'm personally a podcast person. Uh, Stacy's a video person. Christine is neither. <laughs> blog. I'll take a blog. Blog. She likes things in writing and I'm not going to transcribe this. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Well, I wanted to get your thoughts on this section, lessons as instruments of instruction. What are your overall opening thoughts to this to kind of give a broad overview as to what we read this in this chapter who wants to start stacy okay stacy you right. go <laughs> okay so again being the outside charlotte masoner um but you know reading this book i have realized there's a lot of things that i do enjoy about the charlotte mason method um this is definitely the chapter of all chapters to revisit and kind of it's not necessarily a step-by-step -step guide, but it does kind of give you a direct overview of how she, what she's talking about when she's talking about how to teach reading, how to teach math, how to teach this. And so it's definitely something that, you know, if you were reading this along with us and you skipped over a few sections, it's okay. You can always go back when it's like interesting to you or when you need that section. Um, don't, you know, you don't have to feel like you went through the whole thing and had to retain every little bit of detail. Um, but just being able to know that you can go back and revisit if needed. Yeah, I, I like that. I think that, um, the section was kind of interesting for me. So like my kids are out of the stage that this is referring to. So there were like sections that I for sure in this chapter checked out of because like, both my kids are already avid readers. Like I'm not intending to ever have any more. So I'm like, okay, I'm just going to skim through this. Um, but I really did love um, on page 215 in our book. I think this was really, she's talking about reading, but I wanted to read this because I think it's just a really awesome thing to bear in mind because she starts rattling off like a lot of stuff and it's very specific. And some of it, you might be like, what the, what the heck is she talking about? Or you might be like, this is weird. But she says, um, there's absolutely no right and necessary steps to reading, each of which leads to the next. There's no true beginning, middle, or end. And she kind of talks a lot in that section about how there's not really like one way to do it. So I think that's just helpful to keep in mind because there's some stuff in here that, I mean, all of us would probably read and be like, I don't like that. <laughs> I'm not going to implement that into my homeschool. Um, but I just love that, like, obviously she was so passionate and so educated. I mean, she dedicated her life literally to to studying children and to creating this. So um, I just love that we can kind of take what we want from it and then maybe not dwell on the stuff that's not for us. Yeah, 
I love that. And so it kind of in that nature, that fashion, we're going to not really go step by step, like section by section of this chapter, because it's just a lot. Like we said, she starts out talking a lot about kindergarten, which I think basically the main takeaway from what I saw was like, don't interfere too much with your children's education too early on. Um, it's a big thing in the Charlotte Mason method to wait until the age of six for formal lessons. So she has all this stuff about kindergarten at the beginning. Personally, I kind of just skimmed through it because my kids are also older than kindergarten. Although I guess I'm the only one here who does have a toddler. So maybe I should have paid more attention, but <laughs> um, I'm going to have to start over one day. But yeah, so that's the whole beginning section. So if you don't have a kindergartner and you don't have any more like young kids coming on up, then you can kind of, in my opinion, skip that section. I don't know. The first one that I really wanted to get in here into here is reading. So Charlotte Mason, obviously in the Charlotte Mason approach, there is a huge emphasis on literature. But in this, she's giving like step-by-step -step instructions as to how to teach reading. And this is something that I, as I would consider myself a Charlotte Mason homeschooler, I've kind of struggled with this because I want my kids to like graduate to these massive, big, profound books. And I liked, I did for the most part enjoy reading about her approach. So like I, I took a little note here. I said, reading lessons should not result in tears. And if they do, the fault lies with the teacher. And I was like, ouch, that hurts me. But not that my kids have ever cried from a reading lesson. But do you guys have any thoughts about the reading section here? Um. Okay, I do. There was this one section that it sounded... Okay, so she's talking about like when you go to start teaching reading. And she's like, get the house tidy before. Like, make sure big kids are out of the way. And the whole time that I was reading this part, I said, this sounds exactly like the tips that people give when they want to potty train their kid in three days. Um, like, I know I totally read that as a first time mom. I was like, I need to potty train my kid. Let's do it fast. And so, but like all of the tips are like, get the big kids out of the house, barricade your kitchen and like all. So I, it was just really interesting to see like her method on this, um, to like getting your kid to start reading. And anyway, I thought that was funny. I don't know if either of you thought of that at all. <laughs> no, um, I didn't think of that, but I do think it's interesting because you know, because she says to wait until the age of six, presumably your child is going to be a little more ready to start reading than they would be if you like started teaching the alphabet at the age of two, which like my youngest daughter just turned three and I can't even comprehend teaching her the alphabet right now. Like she's still learning like basic words. Like, I don't know. She's learning very basic things still. And I'm like, I just don't know if I would feel like sitting around teaching her the alphabet I'm sure she could learn it but so what I think um I think it is almost like a you know teach your kid to read in 100 easy steps type thing that's a common reading curriculum that people use um but because your child is older and maybe there are more more there's more brain development that's already happened that they are more predisposed to like learning quickly so I do think that observation is really interesting though what you just said yeah. Stacey I think another thing that's interesting is <clears throat> like when she was writing this, a lot of the people she was writing to would have sent their kids at eight years old to a school. Like this wasn't exclusively for homeschoolers. So I kind of found myself wondering at times, like, like that's the age she's talking about, but for some families, it's going to be different. Like there are some kids I know that it really doesn't click until they're like seven or eight. Or if you use like more like a Waldorf method or something like that, like it really isn't like reading isn't going to click till they're a little older. But then there's some kids like, I mean, I have one of each one, like my oldest was three and had all the alphabet memorized and could already read basic words and not for me like teaching her it was just she picked up on it you know with it being around and the little one could not care less <laughs> like she's like nope not interested so I think that it's something to kind of keep in mind because I think when there's a specific age it can be stressful for a lot of people to be like oh my gosh my kid's six and they're not doing this or to get really arrogant about it and be like oh my kid's six and they already know all this like and the big picture like Charlotte's playing the long game so the important thing is they learn to read, not necessarily like all the other stuff, in my opinion. Right. Yeah. And so one thing also that I wanted to talk about in this section before we move on is that 
um, she's very big on like learning these things visually, which might not work for every learner. Now we know that people learn like mm. auditorially or, you know, visually or kinesthetically or whatever, but she really talks about visualizing these words and kind of learning them by sight. So it's not really a necessarily a phonics based approach. It's more of a sight word type approach, which for my kids, um, one of the things that I've kind of taken away from this book is the whole like close your eyes and picture what a word looks like and then spell it. We've kind of been doing that just very casually, but every time we do it, the my child who doesn't really like sitting around spelling things, like it's a good way to practice spelling without having to physically sit down and write things, which for her is tedious. For most kids, actually, it's tedious, but um, <laughs> uh, compared to my other one, she is more uh, less likely to sit down and want to write. So. I do think that it's an interesting thing. And that's something I didn't know about the Charlotte Mason method was this whole kind of visual or like, or like mm -hmm. visualizing what something looks like. So I was wondering about your thoughts about that component of this. Yeah, no. So I actually like after reading this, I, I chatted with you since it's been so long. I was like, I have to talk to you guys. Um, but I had a hard time reading through this because actually last year for some like professional development, um, I really wanted to try to figure out how to help um, younger elementary kids read. So I was taking some like master classes with, with our reading specialist at the school and like learning different things. And so as through reading through this, I was like, I don't know, this doesn't like really mesh well. And I am, I am not a reading specialist, everybody. Like the reading specialist I was taking the master class from is amazing and could probably talk to this. Um, but so I was like all confused. I'm like this and the way she was describing reading reminded me a little bit of Hooked on Phonics, if you guys are familiar with that program, because it focuses on those word endings. Like, you know, you learn A-T is at, and then you just add the first syllable, you know, at, rat, hat. Um, and then it, it kind of just builds on itself that way. But um, when I was talking to Christine, I was thinking about, she was mentioning how, you know, Charlotte Mason was doing this a really long time ago. And if you think about it, she's probably pioneering what has now become different ways that people have learned to read. Um, so if you were reading this and you're like, oh, this is how, how you learn to read, it may not be the best for, like Jenny was saying, for every single kid. It, I mean, Charlotte Mason used it and it was successful with it. So it's not that it doesn't work. Um, it just might not be the best for every learner today. Um, so that was my, my big takeaway from it. I was just trying to figure out, I was like, this doesn't sound right for how my kids learning because we we're very we're an all about reading family we love phonics not hooked on phonics there's a difference um <laughs> jenny and i will never go back to hooked on phonics um but we both love all about reading so yeah so i i'm, I'm just a big proponent for phonics so this whole memorizing words was really hard for me to grasp i think that's really interesting and, and talking about hooked on phonics so i don't know if i've ever told you all this story but i remember being three I was literally three about to turn four and I wanted to learn to read. And my mom was like, oh, there's this new thing called Hooked on Phonics. <laughs> it was like brand new on cassette mm -hmm. tape back when I used it. And I cried every day using that thing. Like, cause I, they, you know, just goes through and I'm like, I can't, like, I can't keep up. I don't know what's going on. Um, and then my mom handed me some Bob books and I already knew like, you know, what the sounds all the letters made. And literally I just, it just made sense to me, which I think actually really is similar to what Charlotte Mason's talking mm -hmm. about because that's, I mean, Bob books are like that. Like you learn at, and then you just, you know, buh, s, you know, like all the different. Um, so I thought that was really interesting, but I think again, in this section, I kept, I kept finding myself thinking like, so I read Charlotte Mason's um, volume six philosophy of education um, several months ago and absolutely loved it even more than I loved this book. And so I think that like when she's giving all these specific things like down in the weeds, almost it kind of feels like to me, we got to remember like to zoom out <laughs> and look at like what's her whole like philosophy, because I think there's a lot of ways you could teach a kid to read and still maintain a Charlotte Mason philosophy. So I personally don't like being in the weeds. It stresses me out. So I just, <laughs> I just skipped past the parts. I was like, no, thank you. Not for me. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think this also feeds into that section that you already read, Christine, about basically like there's no there's no tried and true for sure way to do this. So yeah, I think that's always something good to keep in mind. Let's move on to another section because there are lots of sections, like I said, in this 
um, I really wanted to talk about the art of narrating with you guys because narration is a cornerstone in the Charlotte Mason method. It's something I need to be better at. Well, I need to be better at facilitating, I guess, because it's really hard for me not to correct my kids. But <laughs> something that I thought was cool that she said was children naturally want to narrate everything they've experienced. So harness that power. And so that's what I've really been trying to incorporate. Like I'll notice when um, like my older daughter is now free reading like chapter books and stuff for the first time. And she'll just come up to me after like even just a page and say, oh my gosh, this and that happened. So I'm trying to get that sort of enthusiasm into our actual like Ambleside Online history or just like literature or science readings. So do you guys have any special thoughts on narration? What did you think about this section of the book? Christine, take it away on this one. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed this section also. Um, I just, I thought it was just really like, practical and not in the weeds <laughs> so from the last section I was like look at this it's so inspiring um yes. I underlined um this was on page 232 in this version if you're reading this one um and I loved this like it says the points to be born in mind are that he should have no book which is not a child's classic and that given the right book it must not be diluted with talk or broken up with questions but given to the boy in fit proportions as wholesome meant for the mind and the full trust that a child's mind is able to deal with it, it's proper food. And I just really loved that because I think like it's so easy, especially if like exposing your kids to classic literature is new. Like it's really easy to want to try to like dissect it or like ask them a lot of like prompting questions because that's what a lot of us are taught to do, right? Like we don't learn narration in our culture. <laughs> like most cultures, that's not like a thing, at least Western cultures, a thing that you're like encouraged to do. Um, so I think it can be hard to have your kids narrate if it's not something that you are, are like well-versed in. Um, so like I've been like relearning narration alongside my kids and it's been really encouraging to just see like what happens when I just ask questions and to your point Jenny, I think it's hard because sometimes you want to correct them <laughs> you're like what in the like why I don't know how you took this from what we just read but okay um but I've noticed like there is an improvement so I really was encouraged by this and then encouraged by even looking at my own kids and seeing like no there is like they do get better if that's a word you could use with narration at it the more they do it yeah, I agree. And um, a book that I will recommend is this book, Know and Tell, The Art of Narration by Karen Glass. This is all about narration. And it's something that I've read and I need to pick it up again because um, I feel myself slipping back into my old ways. But um, I, um, one thing that she mentioned that made me feel so much better was she was talking about, you know, my kids are kind of on the younger end of the spectrum. They're eight and almost seven. And uh, what they will typically do, especially my second daughter, she will just like narrate back like the last paragraph of what happened. So say we're reading a history book and at the end someone dies. She's just like, okay, and then the person dies. And I'm like, okay, well, where's the rest of it? <laughs> but in the book, in No and Tell, she, uh, something that's pretty cool about the book is it shows a lot of uh, examples of narrations at different ages. So it, it made me feel better because I'm like, okay, this is normal. They're not going to narrate it perfectly. They're not going to write a dissertation on this small little chapter. And um, yeah, I just, I love that part that you pulled out because also it brings up that food analogy again, which I love when it comes to yeah. education. Yeah. I love that. I also love like this whole idea of, um, narration in the section before that was about recitation um it reminded me of I think it was on page like 154 about how like children learn in order to remember like we're not just teaching them these things so they like check a box like the whole point is that they remember maybe not verbatim but they remember um and I've really been challenged in helping my kids to listen in a way to help them remember and so it's been really cool to see like with um my nine-year-old, she remembers so much more if she's doing like handicrafts while I'm reading to her or if she's reading herself. So it's been really cool to be able to use like different Charlotte Mason tools while I'm reading to them because I think, so I'm, I'm not a good auditory learner at all, like never have been. If someone's just telling me something, I think that's why I love books so much. Like I'm like, I cannot, I don't remember. It's really hard for me. 
So I think it's just so cool that she gives you so many like tools to be able to help your kids remember. Cause that's really, I mean, narrating is just telling what you know. So I, I love mm-hmm. that. It's, it's really not as hard as, as it can seem. <laughs> it can seem intimidating. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's this, yeah, it's been way easier. Really, go ahead. No, go ahead, Stacey. I was just going to ask you your thoughts. Oh. Cause I know you're newer to narrating. Yes. Yeah, so narration is one thing that I probably knew before coming into this book, just because of, you know, chatting with you, Jen, um, about it. And because I'm like, what is this narration you speak of? Um, so this was actually really interesting. And it's something that I do try to do. But um, I'm also selfishly waiting for Jenny to finish No and Tell. So she'll give it to me um, <laughs> and let me borrow it. <laughs> but um, so we'll, we'll get to that later, Jenny. Um, I really <laughs> liked how this section talked about like the type of books kids should have. And um, I have recently discovered the Amblesite Online book list. Um, I was at the library the other day and I was like looking through all these books and in today's world, there's so much, there are too many good books. And so I'm just like, I, you know, what's new, what's old, what's good. What, I mean, cause you know, there's old books that suck. There's new books that suck. I was like, how do I find the good in both genres and, and years? So I went to the AO book list and got a bunch of books and I'm super excited about a lot of them to have my kids free read, to utilize them just for read alouds. So I really love that she was talking about the types of books. And when I was reading that, I'm like, yes, that's the, that's the kind of books that I want my kids to have and mm-hmm. to have read to them. Um, one thing that I took away from it that I thought was really interesting, especially now with so many books having um, like little pictures in them, even chapter books will have just like a little picture every like, you know, five pages um, but how she mentioned, don't show the pictures until after you finished your narrations. And I thought that was really interesting and something I didn't really think about, but to, you know, cause that's how I remember vividly, like with Harry Potter, me like thinking, cause there's no, I mean, minus the chapter thing, there's no pictures in Harry Potter. And then when the books came out and like, that is, or sorry, when the movies came out after reading the books, I'm like, that is not what was in my head, but Sometimes what I came up with is better than Hollywood, but that's another story. Anyway. Yeah, I'm, I I like the whole thing where it's like, please don't show, show the pictures. I mean, my kids are always peeking over my shoulder anyway, so they'd probably just see the pictures. But um, I think it's valid to say, hey, it's probably a little more effective for them to visualize in their mind and be creative and use their imagination to withhold from the pictures and then have them say what happened and then they can look at the pictures and kind of you know see see what the artist or author and you can even have them like like draw so that's one of the things I have like we do a lot of reading loud and since we've done it for a long time like we're at the point now where when I'm reading loud I mean I could read for probably 90 minutes from the same book and my kids would listen the whole time but like my nine-year-old will draw like whatever she's imagining and it's kind of fun because sometimes she wants to see the pictures after and it's really fun for her to see like what the, like the illustrator drew it as and then what she drew. And sometimes they're actually very similar, which is a little creepy. And then other times I'm like, I don't know what this was, but she was listening and she retained it. So just go with that. I love it. I love the drawing component of narration and something that Charlotte doesn't really talk about. Maybe she does. I just might not have taken a note. But, you know, there are other ways to narrate than just like, you know physically saying the things out loud. Mm-hmm. So I'm a big proponent of having your kids draw, like like you're saying, as you're reading even. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really cool idea. Or have your kids act things out. So this isn't the Jenny home education book. This is the Charlotte Mason home <laughs> education book. So I won't get too far down that road. Um, let's talk about spelling and dictation because this kind of, we don't need to spend too much time on this, but, um, and I kind of already talked about this in the reading section, but it's basically about having a kid visualize a word to learn the spelling and one thing that I really really liked in this like this one I was like okay I've been doing this right according to Charlotte um uh they need to have a photograph in their mind of the correct spelling immediately and this is a thing that I've talked about with Stacy too about like how does this work how should you correct like you know when do you correct like in narrations you're not supposed to but with spelling you are and this is another thing that I'm really, I've really taken away from this book is having them correct it immediately. And a lot of times they'll even kind of know that it's wrong. So uh, 
what what about you guys in this spelling and dictation section? Stacy, you want to go first? Yeah. So okay, I don't know how to teach spelling um, at all. I don't know how I learned to spell versus how like my husband learned to spell because we're we're both different levels of spellers, and um, <laughs> we he had a lot harder time figuring out spelling, and I also did, but like it's just like we came to it at different times in our lives. So the whole photographic image that doesn't resonate with me personally, but a lot of the things she was talking about is like, once you see it, like it can get ingrained in your head. And so one thing that I started to do very early on with homeschooling, it was something that I was actually, um, I don't know if I was taught it through my credential program or if it's just something that I saw in other classrooms, like public school classrooms. When you have a classroom of 30 children, you cannot have all of, and you're having them all work on a writing assignment and they all need to know, oh, Mrs. Lewis, how do you spell such and such? Or how do you spell this? You can't do that for 30 children. So something they would do is, oh, use your best guess spelling. And they just want the kid to sound it out and write whatever they can. And so that's kind of what I started out doing. But after like, you know, chatting with my husband, I'm like, this doesn't seem like that's going, like he was kind of on Charlotte Mason's sides before we knew about Charlotte Mason. He's like, once they start seeing it spelled the wrong way, they're going to just keep spelling it wrong. And I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. So this was actually really interesting. I feel like I'm trying to find like a happy medium because I don't understand the like photograph. I don't have this photographic memory she speaks of. I cannot like, I have to visually see it. I can't close my eyes and see the word, if that makes sense, um, to know if it's right. Because you know how you look at that, you write it and you like look at it. You're like, is that right? Um, so yeah, so that that's that was kind of my takeaway. Was I did find that there were ways I had tried to do it previously and then have kind of gone to like that this other way. I'm gonna keep my thoughts brief because I really want to skip ahead to talking about math. <laughs> but okay. The thing that I will say, which I think does tie into math as well, is we have to keep in mind that at this time, paper was not something super readily available or cheap. So most of the time they had a tablet for like chalk. So they like learning things in your mind, like seeing it visually, like in your mind was what I mean, you had to rely on that because you didn't have just books where you could all be writing in it. Sometimes in classrooms, like the kids wouldn't even each have a copy of whatever book it was, they would be passing it around and you'd have like a chalkboard. So I think that it's important to keep in mind, like the reason I think she also focuses so much in this whole section on seeing it in your mind is because that's what they had to do. Like it's just a practical factor. Yeah. Good point. They had their slates and <laughs> that's so crazy to think about. Right? It, was like, it wasn't like, like worksheets literally couldn't exist. Which no, interesting. no. <laughs> okay. We're going to skip ahead. I really, okay. I really want to talk about math, but briefly, I just want to say, I really liked her section on Bible lessons. If you're looking into trying to do Bible lessons with your kids, I think it's a must read, but we don't need to talk too much about that. We can skip ahead to, sorry, Christine, it's not called math. It's called arithmetic. Okay. <laughs> It is. I said it, I was like, oops. <laughs> uh, I, like I like how you're like, oops. <laughs> so, yep. You know. Okay, let's let's move into arithmetic now. So I don't want to start this section off. I want one of you guys to start this. Christine, you start this arithmetic section. What were your notes and takeaways from this? And yeah. what do you want to talk about? So I don't have a whole lot to say about the like nitty gritty, all the little details. Again, the weeds are not my favorite thing. But as far as like a high level overview, um, it was really cool to read this and then be able to connect it back to the math that we started using this past year, which is Ray's arithmetic. And if you're familiar with Ambleside Online, AO, which um, Stacy was just mentioning, Ray's arithmetic is one of the, I think there's like three maybe that are listed as like Charlotte Mason math. Um, and I started using it kind of out of desperation because I had like, my kids were just all over the place. Like I have one who's like very math minded and, you know, engineering geared, but she was still really struggling to like memorize things. Um, and so we started using Ray's arithmetic and I adore it. It's a very different way of teaching math. But when I was reading through this, I'm like, oh my goodness, like no wonder it fits in because it's very similar to what, like how she was teaching it. 
Um, and I do think that with how many different ways we have to teach math now, it can be an absolute disaster. <laughs> I think that we make it so hard. Like back in the day, you just, there was like one or two ways you learned math. And now we have like, what, 40? I don't even know. Yeah. So as, as far as like how many different ways to learn math, that is one of the hardest things I find um, working with other homeschoolers is when they don't like a curriculum, like what do they move to next? Is it similar? Is it different? Where do they, like, what level do they start on? Because there are so many different ways and they don't correspond. It's not just like, oh, I'm moving from like history and I was working in this time period so I can just move in. It's a lot harder because some books will, um, I think it's like the math you see each book, you know, one is addition, one is then subtraction, then multiplication. So it's all separate in each book where some books combine all of that and teach everything. So yeah, there, there is definitely too much math out there. Um, So what, oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, 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 no. Go ahead. Well, so something that I like that she talked about, and I don't know if you guys see this in your math curriculums. I feel like I'm kind of seeing this now. Um, I'm using MEP, which is another one that used to be listed on Amazon online, although I can't find that section anymore, Mm -hmm. but it's free. It's available online. Check it out. Um, I talk about it a lot. So um, I really like that her concept about math is not memorization. It's not like being the best or the fastest at doing math. It's basically the role of math in our lives is to strengthen our reasoning skills and logic and, and understand what steps come next. And so that's another thing that I've taken from this book is like, okay, it's not about the kids memorizing which numbers add up to make 13. It's about having them look at something and be like, okay, what applications, what what processes do I need to apply to this to find the answer, which I think is really cool. So that that was my main note on this section, but it was kind of life-changing to see her say this you know I think math can be like um something especially if you're talking about a Charlotte Mason education that's like the ugly stepchild (laughs) like over in this other arena because Charlotte Mason like everything else you're learning you're learning from living books and literature but math is like kind of on the outskirts so it can be easy to make the mistake of one not valuing it um and something that I've really as an adult really been encouraged and challenged by is that like learning math can still be super exciting and wonderful. And I don't like, I grew up with this mentality of like, I having a Charlotte Mason ish education, like math was this thing I hated. It did not make sense to me. I hated how boring the textbooks were. I like conceptually, I could not grasp a lot of the concepts because there, I just, I, I couldn't. Um, but we have um, been reading a couple books over the last year that just explain like the beauty of math. Um, like there's a book called The Joy of Mathematics. And there's another one by the same author that I'm not remembering the name of. I'll go look it up in a second. But it introduced even like really complex like concepts about math in this way that it's like super accessible. So I think like, I mean, this is like me talking to myself, but um like Charlotte Mason talking about like having your kids love to learn, like math's included in that. <laughs> it shouldn't be like this thing that you're like, we're going to do all the things you like. And then this thing you hate, like, I think it's just like how you go about it. And I, I loved how refreshing this section was because it was just reminding me of all those things that I've learned as an adult, but I really want to instill them in my kids. Like I don't want math to be scary or weird or like this thing that they hate. And I don't think it has to be. Well, and another, so something, this is maybe a side tangent, whatever, But, you know, as someone who didn't learn anything about music or anything as a child, but then as an adult, I taught myself how to play guitar for like the years that I was between when I got married and then when I had kids. Um, I, I realized how mathematical music is and how mathematical like sheet music or like um, like the notes on a guitar or a piano are so mathematical. So that's why it's like. I just wish someone had to- told me that math isn't just stuff like, you know, in, in school they say like, oh yes, you will use this or whatever, but I'm not really using it in that sense. I just want to have an appreciation for it. Or, or And then also, like I said, going back to what I said about how she uses, how she, the role of math in our lives is to kind of figure out the means to an end. I think that's all really important. So I just, 
I just wish that someone taught me like, hey, the answer doesn't really matter. It's like the overall concepts that we're learning here are really, I don't know, important. So Stacey, did you yeah, have any no, thoughts that's really, on math? Yeah, that's really interesting. Just because, um, you know, she was also talking about how like problems can't be nearly right. Um, and there are several times in this book that I've been reading and I'm like, is Charlotte Mason alive today? Um, because she's talking about how like there are other like teachers that will like mark a, a you know an answer like half right because the kid was almost there, and like you know you know we talk about oh kids always get awards in you know in sports everybody gets a you know an award, um, but so I just thought it was really funny just to see her being like problems can't be nearly right like they either are or they aren't stop trying to like kid kids, kid kids. <laughs> um, but yeah, so anyway, that was one of my main takeaways. And yes, the approach, because um, I think the MEP that you use generally is similar to primary mathematics. One thing that I did notice, and again, you know, this was written a, um, a, a while ago, so they maybe didn't really put a lot of emphasis on anything else other because this is just arithmetic, but it doesn't include any like shapes necessarily or any of these other like money and it doesn't really include all of that it's really just focusing on the numbers um which i think that might i don't know christine let me know if you know anything about this i could just be because it's older and they didn't like if you knew how to do numbers you could move into money very easily um it's something you know if you live life you should know what shapes are so it's not like that was something they necessarily had to teach in a curriculum yeah, I think she addresses that type of stuff more in school education, but like shapes and stuff is something that she would combine more with geometry, if I'm not mistaken. And from what I've read of her volumes, the older, like the higher up you go in the volumes of the older the kids, she the less she really gets in the weeds about these things. It's more like meth like method. Um, but like raise, raise arithmetic, for example, which I think she actually like her schools may have used at one point. I can't quote that for sure, but I think they may have because it was like the mainstream math for years and years in Europe. They don't actually introduce that till much later, but the kids in their very first year are learning addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division, like kindergarten, which to me is like, what? <laughs> like just totally different. That's very interesting. And Christine, I keep meaning to let you know, I saw some sort of raise arithmetic product in... <laughs> in the catalog I get from Rainbow Resource every year. So I'm hoping it's making a comeback to be a little more mainstream. Yes. So that would be really cool. Notebooks, they have workbooks that Mott Media creates now. And I believe that Rainbow Resource sells them. I'll have to, I'll have to take a look at that because I'm yeah. very intrigued. Yeah. Do you guys have any more thoughts on math or do you want to move on to my favorite history? Let's do it. Okay. History. Let's go to history. Okay. I love history. And I love the, the thing that brought me to using Ambleside Online full time, the free online Charlotte Mason curriculum available at amblesideonline.org is the history readings. I mean, the first book we did with Ambleside Online was our island story, which is a history of England for boys and girls. And I fell in love with this book. So now, so not only are we doing the history readings now, but we're doing all of the Ambleside Online readings because, um, I think the curriculum does history so well that I'm like, how could it do other things not well if it does history this well? So um, something I thought that was cool that she said about history, and I'll, I'll read this quote. This is on page 280. It says, let him, on the contrary, linger, linger pleasantly over the history of a single man, a short period, until he thinks the thoughts of that man in the, is at home in the ways of that period. And I'm seeing this so much in the way that we are learning history because, so we're reading Our Island Story, which is English history. We're also reading This Country of Ours and we're reading A Child's History of the World. So it's kind of a lot, but it's, it's very sparse from each one. You're taking, you know, you're kind of spiraling through each of them. But you're also rotating these in with biography readings. So the one that we're doing right now is The Little Duke, which is about, um, Richard, Duke of Norm Normandy. I don't know enough about him. We've only read the first two chapters. He's a child. He's a literal eight-year-old who becomes a very powerful person politically. And I think it's perfect for Ambleside on like year two, because that's the age at which those kids are. So for my kids, they're like, whoa, can you imagine? And I think that that's a really good way to teach history. It's very immersive. It's not so detached. 
Do you guys remember learning history as a kid? I don't know if this was how it was in your homeschool, Christine, but in public school, you're learning from a textbook. It's very detached, very cold. You literally, you could learn about like the most brutal war and it just does not resonate with you because of the way that it is taught. And um, I think that's really kind of what's wrong with our society in a big way these days. We don't actually know anything about anything. <laughs> we don't know about the past at all. So those are my thoughts on history. I have a lot of them, but what'd you guys think about this section of the book? Um, so I, my, I actually, history was one of my favorite subjects when I was a kid, like I adored history. And what's really interesting is when I had my very first semester of college, I was super excited about my history class. And it ended up being the class I hated the most because it was this guy who was like 65 and super boring and angry. <laughs> and he just stood there. I'm not saying all people that teach history are like this, but this guy was. And I was like, what? Like, this is the most boring thing I've ever sat through. Um, so it was a little bit of shock for me. So I can only imagine what it was like for you as a kid if you were like reading it in a dry format like that. Um, well, our experience was we just didn't care. Like yes. we didn't care and we didn't know anything. It was like, always weird to me that people didn't like history. Like other kids I yeah. knew because I had a ton of kids that went to, you know, private or public school. And I'm like, why don't you like it? It's so awesome. Like I got to learn about Da Vinci and then I tried to build like a flying contraption. Like, I'm like, why wouldn't you like that? Like. Um, so I also, I love in this section, which this probably sounds like super basic, but just to reiterate, like in a Charlotte Mason education, you're reading these books and then your kids narrating back to you. And it's so crazy because sometimes it can feel so simple. Cause you're like, wait, I'm not doing like worksheets. I'm not doing like a quiz. I'm not, you know, like there's exams if you're, if you're using like Ambleside online, but it's incredible to me, like how much the human brain can grasp and understand and remember and immerse themselves in just with the power of your own brain. Um, and I just think that's really cool because it doesn't have to be complicated. And maybe that's why I'm drawn to Charlotte Mason because I'm not like a worksheet pages type of person. Um, but I just, I love it. I also loved the section when she talked about Plutarch's lives, just because mm -hmm. we're, we're starting that this year. And I was like, what? <laughs> so I was really grateful for this little section. My notes literally say, love the section from Plutarch, exclamation point. Like, I'm really excited to do that in the coming yeah. years. And um, she does mention um, on page 292 dates. Um, she kind of she she details how to do a simple book of centuries essentially without saying the term book of centuries um so that's always a tool that you can use in your homeschool to help kind of solidify these historical events in a timeline which is something i'm a big proponent for i love the concept of a book of centuries i could be better about putting dates in my book of centuries but that's a different topic because i always forget uh stacy what'd you think about this history section Okay. Um, I did not like history growing up for all the reasons Jenny described. Um, also, I've, I realized as an adult now trying to figure out, oh, what, what are my kids supposed to be learning in history for, you know, first through third grade? And it's a lot of, you know, community workers like, you know, me on that. And, you know, because that's Jenny's favorite topic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it's a lot of, you know, you kind of work into, then you work into like my city and then you work into my state in fourth grade and then you work into us. So you kind of like start here and work your way out. Um, which when I started, um, cause Jenny was using story of the world and I kind of like that approach of going a little more chronologically through time. So that's kind of what we did. And I just felt like it introduced the kid, my kiddos to more things that they, that are referenced. So in the book, um, I have it quoted in my notes. So I'm not sure if it's a direct quote or not, but concise summaries. Oh, no, not that one. Sorry. Um, history provides a child's mind with a storehouse of ideas. And I really liked this here because it really is when kids are learning about topics from history, they're able to apply it in other areas. And that's I mean, it's another reason this is not Charlotte Mason, but I love my kids like watching movies, especially like older movies. And because they're learning about different things inside of movies, even if they don't realize it, like they're watching a show and it they visit Egypt. So they're like, oh, pyramids and oh, pharaohs. And, you know, they start to learn different things, whether it's, you know, living movies or not. I'm going to come up with my own term here. Um, but 
it's basically just having them have that knowledge. They're able to then use that going forward. So the, you know, the book says, you know, don't use concise summaries. And um, it also, uh, along with that dates, Jenny, it gave a bunch of like book lists, which was really nice too. And I think the um, Island story was in there, which I'm excited to read that this year. Yes, it's so good. And um, yeah, I, I'm super against all these, like the ways of teaching, like maybe it's social studies. Maybe this is what I don't like. Like the whole, like, what is my role? This is who I Oh no, I think we lost her again. That was really good. <laughs> oh, there it is. Everything okay, went sorry. blank. Everything. We're on prison. <laughs> <laughs> don't live oh, rurally, no, okay. everybody. <laughs> yeah, don't don't get rural internet. It's not the best. But so anyway, I just like that the Charlotte Mason approach is very global. You know, we're not just learning about us. I mean, I'm, we're learning about the history of England. Like, what kind of curriculum starts with a history of England first? But actually, it kind of makes a lot of sense. So, yeah, um, I, I love that. I love even with if you look at like this is Charlotte Mason talks about this in her volumes. And then Ambleside Online, I think, has done a really great job of this. But when your kids start like really actively learning in like year two, like they start with Genesis and Matthew. Like it's not like starting with the concepts of like, you know, God loves you. I mean, like those things are good truths, but it's like a you're coming from here and then doing this yeah. versus like here and then eventually you get out here. I mean, in um, like when my kids were in public school, they had a rotation on one day a week where they had what they called specials and it was social studies, culture and history all together. So the kids I'm not and I'm not saying like to say, oh, my gosh, it's ridiculous. But it is crazy when you think about like if you only have one, really two days a month to teach about history, <laughs> like you really can't cover that much. So, I mean, good luck to you. So that's the beauty about doing something like this is you get to teach your kids whatever you want, like mm -hmm. as much as you want and start from wherever you want. So why not start from like big picture? I right. love it. I, yeah, I agree. Okay, so Christine, we're getting close to the end of this episode before we go live again for part six. But Christine, let's talk really quick about pictorial art yes. because you so really wanted to talk about this. I did. I know it wasn't believe like everyone's favorite, but. Well, believe it or not, we're going to skip past French here, okay? <laughs> and we're going to go to pictorial art. Um, so talk, tell me, tell me why you wanted to talk about this section. I'm really interested to hear. So first of all, I just thought this was like the most practical step-by-step -step she gave in this entire chapter. Like this is actually doable where you're like, okay, step one, like, I'm going to like pick up a, a picture. Okay. And then I'm going to like, you know, have them look at it. Like, it's very practical. You don't have to like do a bunch of whatever to be able to do this. And I love it. But what I really love about it is everything that your kid gleans from learning this practice. And I just thought it was so cool. So by them like learning to see and then remember and using something like a picture, not only is it a great way to learn about art and appreciate art and the time that it took to make something and, you know, how someone's, you know, skill was in doing that, but they're really learning how to see and observe. And that is such a precious gift and I just think like not it's just way bigger than talking about pictures you know like it seems small but it's such an amazing skill and I think that it's also a lost skill like we talked about this maybe not the last video but the one before about how most of us don't look at any single image for more than like three seconds <laughs> so to take a couple minutes and just literally like help your kid's brain to learn to look at something and notice details and then like put, you know, recall them to mind is so important, especially because now we have like all kinds of other ways that we remember things, but nothing is really the same as like remembering in your own mind and it becomes part of you. Um, I get like reading this section. I was like, I didn't realize how much art matters to me <laughs> until I was reading this. I was like, whoa, it's brought out all kinds of things. But I just, I loved how practical it was, but I love how powerful it is. And this is something like literally every parent could give their kids even if it's like a tiny little chunk a month where you're like let's look at this and then tell me what you remember what like it's just I really loved it it was simple but awesome 
this is something that I am planning on doing more with my kids is just observing more artwork because it's kind of an area where I don't know a ton about. So it would be really fun to do together. And you don't need to have like Christine has a lot of art prints right now. That's the whole, that's the whole story. Don't be mad. <laughs> that's the whole story. But you don't need to actually have, you don't necessarily even have to like keep art prints in the house to like you can, if you needed to, you could like look these up on a tablet or, you know, or even your phone if you absolutely had to. Or the library. And, or the library. Yeah. I mean, there are so many resources for you if you even just want to look at art with your kids. I know for us, there's kind of a semi-close art museum. So, um, yeah, I think it's important to, it's kind of, this kind of reminds me of the whole nature study section where it's, it focuses on observation, but it's also about like making that time to do it. And I don't know. I like this kind of stuff too. So I, I just wanted to hear exactly why you were like, Christine literally put in the notes, yes. <laughs> I just in feel like caps. it's so important. Like it's so important. And especially because it's a lost art. Like this at the time may not have been so like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. But now it's like, I mean, we have, we go to museums all the time. We have one less, like a world-renowned museum less than a mile from our house, which I'm so grateful for. And I just thank God all the time because that's not something everybody has. But it's crazy to me how many people in there are old. And I don't think it's just because of an interest. I'm like, I think that people, you know, who grew up without all the distractions probably had to learn to observe in a different way than kids are now. So I'm like, well, who's going to be here in like 60 years when my kids are older, like, are Will there be anybody? Like, I don't know. It's just crazy. It's just crazy. That's our job is to keep the museums in business, apparently. <laughs> okay. Um, before we wrap it up, any final thoughts from anyone? Is there something that we didn't get to that you want to speak on? Now is your time because we're gonna, about to move into part six in a separate episode. No, we're all good? Okay. So we are about to hop on to a separate live in about mm, 20, 25 minutes to discuss part six of home education. But in the meantime, you can always find us on social. We are at Kids Learning for Life everywhere. You can also email us at kidslearningforlife at gmail.com. And I think that's it. So I guess it's now time to say, see you next time. See you next Bye. time. <laughs>